I want to show you a picture. Thank you. Whoever that was, you can come again. Um, a bit of trivia to begin with. I thought let's kind of break it up a little bit. There should be a picture coming on the screen, and if you're watching online, you should be able to see it. Does anybody know? Put your hands up, please, if you know the answer to this question. Does anybody know who that is? Todd, you know what? I thought people would be shouting at me. Yes. Pardon? No, no. No? Oh, I'm disappointed. Harry Houdini. Oh, Harry Houdini. Um, so if you don't know, you've probably heard the name, just in case you don't know who he is. Harry Houdini was an escape artist. So basically, out of choice, <laughs> he would tie himself up, chain himself up, put straight jackets on, and then try and escape for the entertainment of the public. Um, it didn't always go to plan, so he nearly suffocated when being buried six feet under the ground, under soil, so not just like in the ground, but actually buried, in kind of shackles, he nearly suffocated and died. So he probably, it, was, it wasn't a kind of a good um, career choice for him, I would say, but he got quite famous in the process. Um, anybody want to give that a go? We can dig a hole outside if you want and um, see. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, and because most people are not looking to be held captive, but actually to find freedom. You know, we're not looking to be held in shackles, we're looking to be free. And so, a very tenuous link, today we're going to continue our series on worship by looking at the importance of worship in finding freedom. How in worship do we discover the freedom that Jesus has for us? You know, freedom is at the very center of Jesus' ministry. You know, we, freedom is, is kind of what he came for. You know, and we're going to really explore how freedom um, is available to all of us. I'm going to pick up the story of Jesus, because Jesus is always a great place to start in a church, isn't it? You know, it's always good to look to Jesus. Um, and we're going to pick up the story after he'd been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, we probably know the story. He was tempted by the devil in three ways. So the first way, he was tempted to turn a stone into bread. You know, he'd been fasting. He was hungry. And that's probably an underestimation. And so the devil tempted him, said, here's stone, you've got the power to turn it into bread. Um, in other words, meet your own needs. The second temptation was that the devil would give him everything, all of the kingdoms, all authority, if he only bowed bow down and worshipped the devil. And then the third temptation was identity. He took him to the highest point on the temple and said, if you throw yourself down, surely the angels will save you. That, in other words, proved to yourself that God really does actually love you. And what we have to remember is that, well, first of all, Jesus rebuked all three with scripture and just a, a fantastic kind of model for us and how we deal with the temptation. But he's 100% human. Jesus is 100% human. He's completely God, but he's 100% human. So that means that when he's facing these temptations, he's facing it in his humanness. And so he's... He's tough. It's tough for Jesus. He would have felt, if you like, a spiritual captivity. And it would have been real. It would have been difficult. And he had to withstand it. And so we, need, we know by Jesus that he gets us. 
He gets the things we have to go through. So anyway, he returns from the wilderness from this temptation, and um, you would think he would be ready for a vacation. You know, he would kind of take himself off to kind of the Red Sea or something and have a bit of a swim and do something nice. But no, Jesus is straight into his ministry. He's battled the devil, he's come through that, and he comes and he gets straight in to leading people into life. And so we pick up the story. He's he's preaching a few synagogues, and we find him in Nazareth. And um, this time, in the synagogue in Nazareth, he takes a scroll out, and it's the scroll of Isaiah. And he takes it and he reads it. And And we see this in Luke 4, and it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads this and he sits down and he declares, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew what his father had sent him to do. And in the reading of this prophecy, and with this declaration, today it has been fulfilled, Jesus set out, for want of a better word, his manifesto. What would he spend his life doing? Well, he would send his life proclaiming good news to the poor, setting the captives free opening the eyes of the blind, both spiritually and as we see in the stories, physically also, bringing liberty, freedom to the oppressed, that he would proclaim and demonstrate the favor of God. Our political parties um, quite like their slogans, do they not? Um, So like build back brownies, um, or is it beavers? Well, maybe better. Um, Labor are stronger together. Lib Dems, on their website in bold, it says, we are winning again. It actually does say that at the top of their website. Um, but no, their, um, their tagline is, where is it? Fairer, greener, more caring Britain. You know, the majority of the UK population, we all don't, we? we take these slogans with a pinch of salt. Their hope is that we will remember these little taglines and when we come to vote, it will kind of make us vote for them. Nothing wrong in taglines. If Jesus' manifesto was going to be named anything, it would be named freedom. It would be named freedom. And it's not full of clever words or unclear promises. No, Jesus' manifesto is demonstrated. His manifesto is demonstrated. Jesus came to bring freedom, liberty, healing, hope, salvation, and life. And his action, and actually his church's actions, us... Speak louder than words. Luke 4, again, later on in that chapter, says this. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before all and and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. What authority and power he gives. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. 
So this man was possessed, held captive by this evil spirit. However, in the presence of Jesus, the tables have been turned on evil. In fear, the evil spirit calls out, go away, go away. Have you come to destroy us? You know, just stop and think about that for a second. Here we have this guy, he's probably been in captive for years, a long time. And Jesus only has to walk into a room and all heaven breaks loose. He's just presence and all heaven breaks loose. See, freedom was not a word. It's not a tagline to Jesus. It was his birthright. It was inbuilt into his identity. It's wrapped up in his authority. Jesus didn't need to give a 30-minute interview or write thousands of words in an essay. No, all Jesus had to do was be present and speak six words. Be quiet. Come out of him. Six words, and this man is set free. Incredible. I have come to set the captives free, to bring liberty to the oppressed. That was Jesus' mission. The demons knew it, and Jesus' life demonstrated it wherever he went. So next, we see Jesus move out of the synagogue and into the streets. We read that many people were healed, and more evil spirits were sent packing. Freedom and liberty just breaks out wherever Jesus is. The demons knew what was going on, and in their desperation, once again, they shouted out, You are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. They recognized who Jesus was. Now, wherever Jesus went, freedom and life broke out. You know, I have a picture in my mind of, of Jesus when he's walking around in where there's captivity. I almost imagine like a barren field, you know, almost where there's been nothing growing in it for, for years upon years. And you imagine Jesus as he walks, and every step he takes, flowers and plants just burst out of the ground. Life just comes back. And that's Jesus. No matter where he was, wherever his presence is, life and freedom and hope and salvation just bursts out. Nothing can stand in the way of the presence of Jesus. Jesus' mission was to set the captives free. And without Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are captive to something else. In the wilderness, the devil revealed his hands. You know, we are either held captive to materialism, our need for stuff, for more wealth and more stuff, success, our need for status in the world, or control. We want to hold on to every part of our life. We want to, we want to take responsibility for it. We want to hold it close. And all the stuff like self-worth or fear, lies, anxiety, that are underneath these desires can hold any of us in bondage. In Jesus, there is freedom from it all. If we want it, if we choose it, if we walk in the liberty and freedom Jesus makes available to us. See, freedom is found in relationship with Jesus. It is found in his presence and also in our practice of imitating Jesus in our everyday lives. But before we look at two ways in which we can find freedom, should we define it? Because freedom is a word that we can think we know what it means, but do we really know what Christian freedom 
looks like. Well, Galatians 5.13 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, you, your freedom, instead you use your freedom sorry, to serve one another in love. John 10.10, 10, one of my favorite verses. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That's not my favorite bit. This is, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. One theologian put it this way. Christian freedom is one of the, mo- of the many paradoxes of the Christian faith. True freedom means willingness, willingly becoming a slave to Christ. And this happens through relationship with him. You see, true freedom is being able to live fully in our God-given design and destiny. To know our identity as a son or a daughter of God and to live out the call and the plans that have been set before us by God. That's freedom. Because in living this way, we find fullness of life and true freedom as Jesus promised. I probably wouldn't use the word slave although the Bible uses it, so I'm not going to argue with God, but it has so many connotations, so many things that need unpacking. But what it does is it just puts the emphasis on our need to submit to God. We need to lay our lives down before God. Our mission statement for Life in Your Church starts with practice in the way of Jesus. And this is a statement about discipleship. It's a statement about maturing in our faith, and that's what we want everyone who comes to this church to do. But you know, it's also a statement about freedom. Because by practicing the way of Jesus, we choose to live free. We find life. So Christian freedom is different to the freedom that the world desires. You know, that fr- the freedom the world desires is this. Do what you want, when you want to. That's the world's definition of freedom. Christian freedom is different. It's discovering fullness of life in doing what Jesus wants you to do when he asks you to do it. Without anything being able to stop us. That's Christian freedom. So how do we find this true freedom? Well, firstly, we need Jesus' presence. Firstly, we need the presence of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, I love those stories in Luke 4. Um, The thought that evil shudders at the presence of Jesus. That healing breaks out wherever Jesus' presence is such good news. The last 18 to 19 months have forced churches like us to move online. And it was such a blessing to have people like Tom in the church who had the skills just to make online church happen. To have the kind of technology to be able to do it. To have the space like this to be able to do online church. You know, it was such a blessing. And it enabled us to stay connected, um, to have community. And, you know, as we've emerged from it, So many people who were with us at the start have stuck in and have been able to stay connected, feel supported, be able to worship even in an unconventional way. You know, we recognize that for some of you watching online, 
you are still in the midst of this pandemic. You know, you're still dealing with vulnerable family members, which mean you have to kind of be careful, or vulnerabilities that you have yourself that means you can't easily come to in-person services. And we recognize that, and we'll be doing live streaming for as long as it takes to ensure that you're able to connect and worship with us. But I just want to flag up Revive. So we made a decision back in September that in the mornings we're going to kind of keep socially distancing in our seating. We're going to encourage mask wearing. Um, but, you know, with the nature of having children around and stuff, it's harder for us to keep completely socially distancing from each other. But in the evening at Revive, we made the decision that rather than encouraging mask wearing, we're saying we strongly prefer it. We spread the seats out a little bit more. There's generally no children around, and numbers are a little bit lower. And, and that means that it is a really, hopefully, a safe place for you to come. So if you're thinking, well, I'd really like to come in person, why not kind of take small steps, tentative steps in our evening service at Revive? If you would like to, we would love to chat with you and try and help you to make it a really comfortable first step for you, because we'd love you to be able to come and connect in person. But as I said, you know, if that's not possible, if you're not comfortable doing that, then we will still stay online and we'll try and do everything we can to keep you connected. But why have we thought so carefully about how we can manage our services and make them as safe and accessible for as many people as possible? Why is that so important to us? Well, the simple answer is that we want people to be able to gather and worship. We want people to be able to gather and worship because when people come into the presence of God, when people gather together in a space such as this, there is something powerful that happens when the tangible presence of God touches our lives. You know, we do discover freedom. We do become transformed. You know, nothing can really replace the gathered environment. Nothing can replace standing with each other like this, and we're going to do in a few minutes, and worshiping our hearts out. Nothing can replace the ministry that happens as we pray for each other, or the prophetic words that are given. You know, nothing can replace the ability to minister and to do life together and to discover the freedom in the presence of God. Nothing. We do our best online. We did the best we could during the pandemic. But it's something wonderful about being together. Because in the presence of God, we do find freedom. We find transformation. We find life. And we have heard wonderful stories over the last 18, 19 months of people encountering Jesus in their front room. People giving their lives to Jesus or watching online services, being healed. That's not to say that God can't work in all manner of ways. But when we gather together, it's something special, something unique. The way Jesus designed his church to be. You know, if you are able to come, I don't know, maybe you've reorientated your life around being able to watch the Sunday service whenever you want. Um, maybe you watch it in the evening. Maybe you watch it during the week. I don't know. Whatever the reason is that maybe you aren't able to make on a Sunday morning, my encouragement would be to prioritize it. To come on a morning or an evening. Not because it's a religious act, but just because you enter into the tangible presence of God when we come together and we worship. And that is where transformation takes place. 
So I'd really encourage you to give it a go. I love the story of the upper room. If you want an example of why gathering together is important, I love the story of the upper room. You know, before Pentecost, there's about 120 of them gathered, and they're praying. I believe they'll be worshipping as well. They'll just be calling out to God, giving him praise and glory, and they are waiting. They are waiting for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be given to them. And then the Holy Spirit comes. The presence of God comes and the room is shaken and everything changes. You know, Peter, Peter is this guy who was full of fear. He denied Jesus three times in the, in the build-up to Jesus' crucifixion. But then the Holy Spirit fell upon him and he became fearless. He became courageous and he preached to a huge crowd and 3,000 people were saved. Transformation. Peter found freedom from fear. That's what happens when the presence of God falls upon us. God set him free. The Christian walk is a dance with Jesus. You know, he takes the lead, but we have to be in hold. I watched Strictly Come Dancing last night. I was forced to. Honestly. Um, and um, anyway, the, you know, you have to be in hold. They get told off, don't they, when they t- spend too far apart. Jesus leads, but we need to follow. We need to follow. And, and Peter put himself in the way of God. And the presence fell. Transformation happened. And then, wow, what an impact his life has. We must encounter Jesus if we want to find freedom. We must put ourselves in the way of Jesus. We must worship and enter his presence. You know, when we gather like we are today, we need to steward our expectation. I don't know what your expectation was from coming this morning. Did you get up and think, right, I'm going to go along to church. I might hear uh, David speaking, so it'll be okay. Um, uh, I'm going to have some good worship. Tim's leading, so it's going to be great. Um, and, um, you know, that, maybe that was your expectation. We've got jam donuts. That's, a, that's exceeded your expectation. And, um, but, you know, I don't know what your expectation was. But did you come expectant that you're going to encounter the risen Jesus? Did you come expectant that when you do, your, your life is going to be changed? I hope you did. But we need to steward that heart. We need to get up on a Sunday morning or, or in the afternoon as we're getting ready for revive and think, God, tonight I'm going to be transformed. Tonight I'm going to find a freedom that I've never had before because when I come into your presence, transformation happens. We need to steward expectancy in the promises of Jesus. We need to be hungry for freedom. To live fully in our God-given design and destiny. To know our identity as a son and daughter of God and to live out the call and plans that have been set before us by God. When we enter the presence, all that becomes available. I don't know what you've come today. You know, maybe you come today um, super anxious. Maybe you come today and you're kind of just as worry in your life and you need to be set free from that. You know, maybe you come today and you're battling the fear of failure. 
Just the fear of failure just holds you captive, makes you work harder. Maybe it's the fear of lack that you might wake up one morning and not have what you need. Maybe it's the fear of people, what people think of you. Maybe there's insecurity in your heart that just means that you need people's affirmation. And so each day you're trying so hard to get that. Maybe you come with a physical illness or, 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 or mental illness that's just holding you captive. Maybe you come with financial needs and pressures and stresses that, again, is just holding you captive, stopping you living. Maybe it's a relational breakdown and the worry that comes with that. Well, in the presence of Jesus, you will find hope, healing, peace, salvation, and freedom. You know, and sometimes that happens in miraculous and spectacular ways. You know, I remember one lady who was in our service a few years ago now, and she was wearing her glasses, and, and she suddenly thought, that's strange, all the words have gone blurred on the screen. She's like, what's going on? And she took her glasses off and realized that her eyesight had been completely, radically healed in the middle of worship. You know, she was set free from something. Some something, she had to wear glasses. She didn't have to wear them after that. You know, the presence of God, we find freedom. So firstly, we need to gather to worship. We need to set time aside to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we need to encounter his presence. Secondly, we need to practice freedom. We need to practice freedom. Over the years... um, Time is leading this church, and you know, back in our time at Trent Vineyard as well. So many conversations of people who have been desperate for freedom, but it has just felt elusive to them. They just don't seem to be able to find it. They experience powerful encounters with Jesus, experience the beauty and the majesty of Jesus in worship, in prayer ministry. But on Mondays, captivity seems to return. I just want to say a little caveat before I say the rest, because it could feel quite flippant what I'm about to say. You know, we recognize and we've journeyed with people whose, whose captivity is really complex. You know, we've had to journey and pray and support and get other support for people because a lot of stuff is going on in their life. And so, you know, we recognize that sometimes freedom is a, a long road that people have to walk. But sometimes freedom can be just a choice, can be an encounter with Jesus that gives us the courage and the strength to live free each day. And often, that is the majority of captivity, can be broken just by encountering Jesus and choosing to live in his ways, to live in freedom. Let's take a topic as an example, and it's the topic Jesus spoke about more than anything. Money, wealth, and materialism. I'm sure you will have heard this idiom. I didn't know what an idiom was until I actually did this talk, so there we go. So I'm going to sound really idiom. It's a little sentence that means something. I don't know whether that's the right definition. Um, There are more, the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want. And the freedictionary.com describes it like this, I thought it was quite good. Rather than any sense of satisfaction or contentment, the accumulation of wealth and possessions only fuels the desire for further accumulation. We're in captivity to the need for more. 
That's what that sentence says. Jesus, this is Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. A year before the pandemic, the independent pa- the paper reported some research. What do people worry about in the UK the most? And this is what the headline said. Three quarters of Britons worried about financial situation, service, survey claims. Okay, I'm just put my hand up. I'm no economics person. Um, I'm a biologist, so I don't know anything about this stuff. However, the UK wealth measured in gross domestic product per capita, so that's per person, over the last 65 years has grown by 300%. 300%. And yet, in 2018, and that's before the pandemic even hit, 75% of people in this country were worried about their financial situation. I find that quite surprising. Well, do you know what else has happened in that time? Anecdotally, I haven't got kind of any kind of survey. I think I read it somewhere, so I think it's true that the percentage that people give as part of their income, as, as, a, as their, their act of worship, has reduced down to 2% on average, 2%, some way below a biblical tithe. Don't worry, I'm not going to turn this into one of those giving talks, just so in case you're worried. I'm just using it as an example because it's such a clear example. The national wealth has increased 300%. Regular giving as a percentage of people's income as part of their worship has decreased to around 2%. And at the same time, anxiety around their people's financial needs has skyrocketed. You don't need to be a mathematical modeler to draw a conclusion from those three pieces of information. You know, when we tithe, when we give, we say to Jesus, I trust you with all my needs. I trust you with all my needs. It's not just giving because that's what we're told to do, In the Bible, we give because we say, I trust you, Jesus, with all my needs. See, Jesus understood, you know, when he was tempted to turn that rock into bread, that it was his Father in heaven that met his needs. Yeah, he could have took control, he could have made that bread, he could have ate it, but he said, no, my Father is the one that meets my needs. He was modeling something to us that we need Jesus, we need his presence in our lives, we need to submit our finances to him, all aspects of life, if we're going to find that peace that is only found in Jesus. He meets all our needs, maybe not all of our wants, but all of our needs, when we surrender our finances and our life to Jesus. Now you can replace finance with any part of life, you could replace it with your career, you could replace it with... Whatever, whatever you come with today that is holding you captive, that is causing you worry and anxiety, replace it in that sentence, in that description. And basically, put it before Jesus. See, freedom is found not just in encountering Jesus' presence on a Sunday. It's found in on the Monday choosing to submit that to Jesus and walking in his ways. You see, when we give... 
we walk in the ways of Jesus because that's how he teaches. He teaches us to be generous. He teaches us to give. And when we do it, we're saying, I trust you, Jesus. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to walk it out. You know, when we're worried about work or careers or whatever it is, spend time in the morning putting it before the Lord and saying, your will be done. Your will be done. Not mine, not my boss's, but your will be done. You see, we need to encounter freedom and we need to live out freedom day to day. It's a choice. And so many people, as I said, I've had conversations with, that step from encountering to living, it was just a step too far. And you know the thing that's wonderful is, we don't live it out on our own. When we encounter Jesus, we don't just get freedom and then he disappears for the week. He's there with us, encouraging us, giving us the strength to make good choices. And the two things we know about Jesus is that he loves us and his resources are unlimited. So why would we ever worry about anything? Okay, I need to come into land. If we want to be free, we need to learn to encounter Jesus in worship, in our gathered environment, that in his presence, we, we discover that freedom that only he can give us. But we also must remember that worship isn't just 25 minutes on a Sunday. It's our day-to-day choices of submitting all of our life to him. And that's when we live out our freedom. That's when freedom is embedded into every part of our life as we live it out each day. So that's what we're going to do now. Guys who are in the band, Tim, Paul, Adam, if you want to come and just join us. We're going to worship. And as we worship, I want to encourage you just to raise the expectation in your hearts. You know, I've spoken a lot about the presence and encountering Jesus and transformation and freedom and all of that. It's all available. It's a promise. It's promised in the scriptures. So we're just going to take a minute just to prepare our hearts for worship. We're just going to take a minute to just to reflect on what we've heard today. I hope I've, you know, it's such, a, such an important topic. I hope I've done justice to it. But let's just spend a minute praying and just asking the Lord. You know what's holding you captive. Maybe it's a, it's a sin that just keeps happening and happening. Maybe it is worry. Maybe it's all sorts of things. You know what's holding you captive. So why not in this moment as we just prepare our hearts, just put them before the Lord. Just say, this is what's holding me captive. This is, this is the worry. This is the stress. This is the sin. This is the situation. But Jesus, I know you promised that when I come into your presence, there is freedom. So I come expectant that today is going to be the start of my journey into freedom. And tomorrow is another day, and Tuesday will be another day. But today, Lord, would you come and meet me and begin the process of setting me free? So just take a minute. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Just come and meet people. The presence of God just fall in this place. Help us to be expectant to believe you when you say that there is freedom 
in your presence. So, shall we stand and let's worship? Thanks, Tim.